0: So, folks, we come this morning to the end of our series in Deuteronomy, the series that we've entitled uh, Choose Life. And as we wrap up the series, I want to take you back to where we began um, you, the opening scene of Danny Boyle's movie Train Spotting. We had Irving Welsh, the writer, um, in the voice of Mark Renton, telling us what he sees when he looks at modern day British culture. This, he says, is the life that's on offer in modern day Britain. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a lovely big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments, choose a starter home, choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite and choose, uh, choose on higher purchase in a lovely range of fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats you spawn to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. It's a, a harsh but a brilliant piece of writing. Whenever you see the life that's on offer, you find yourself empathizing with Renton when he chooses not to choose that kind of life when he chooses to reject it who wants that kind of boring trivial and hollow existence choose life continues Renton but why would I want to do a thing like that I chose not to choose life I chose something else and the reasons there are no reasons Who needs reasons when you've got heroin? The life that's on offer in modern-day Britain is pretty depressing. And so it's no wonder that so many slide into lives of desperation, addiction, and despair. Over these last three months, we've read about a different invitation to life. We've read the book of Deuteronomy. We've been listening in on Moses' long sermon as he's come to the people of Israel and he's invited them to choose life. We have built up a picture these last weeks of the life that God is calling us to. Choose life, choose a better future, choose your calling, choose freedom and love choose gratitude and generosity choose to share this life with your kids choose true worship true leaders and true community choose the word of life my sense is that for most of us who've been here these last weeks we've listened to moses invitation we find ourselves saying yeah okay That sounds like the kind of life I'd like to live. Maybe if I just keep doing what I'm doing, if I keep staying out of the worst kinds of trouble, if I keep mixing with the right kinds of people, keep coming along to church, then I'll be okay. I'll somehow end up living something that resembles a good life. Uh, Friends, God's word tells me and my experience bears it out that that's not even an option. Unless we make choices, unless we take steps, unless we choose to choose life, we're going to end up drifting along in a culture of death. That's what we want to think about one last time this morning. Don't choose death, choose life. You have your Bibles open there at chapter 30. Look with me at verses 19 to 20. This is where we're going to... uh, bring our focus this morning. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to notice three things in these short couple of verses. The importance of choosing life, where we find life, and when we must choose life. So first of all, the importance of choosing life. I'm going to try and wrap up the last few chapters of Deuteronomy here. So I'm going to jump from chapter 30 uh, backwards and forwards. Moses goes to great lengths here at the end of Deuteronomy to show us what's at stake. It's not a case of maybe doing nothing on the one hand and experiencing a reasonable kind of existence and then being a keener and choosing life and getting a fraction more life on the other no no Moses paints a, a contrast much much starker than this he talks about blessings and curses about life and death in the closing chapters he talks about blessings and curses and he does it at one point in a very memorable way uh, he, he uses some audience participation As he preaches his sermon on the borders of the promised land, he tells the people about a dramatic event that he wants them to enact whenever they get into the promised land. Have a look with me. Chapter 27, flick back. Chapter 27, verses 12 to 13. When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Now, if we had a little more time, I think I'd just split us in two. I'd draw a line down the middle from me to the clock. And each of you would would take one of these sides. Uh, The guys on the right-hand side of the, the halfway line here, you'd be the Mount Ebal tribes. And you'd get to pronounce some curses. And then the guys here on my left you'd be the Mount Gerizim tribes, and you'd speak the blessings over us. Now, you can relax. I'm not going to make you do this. But let's have a look at these curses. The curses from Mount Ebal, they begin in verse 15. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And look at that long list of curses, right down to verse 26. Can you imagine what this might have been like? To stand part of a huge crowd on a mountaintop? To actually shout these curses out together? To let your mouth form the words? To hear the the sound of everyone around you? to hear the community shout these words and to offer a corporate amen in response, I think that would be a profound and memorable experience. It would contribute to a real sense of, of taking this law seriously. It would give you a sense that not obeying this law really is a bad thing. We read about the blessings for obedience, which were to be shouted from Mount Gerizim. We read about them in chapter 28. Look at verse three. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Notice how this list of blessings runs on down to verse 14. And again, shouting and hearing these blessings would have made it a much more visceral experience than just reading words on a page. All of this would contribute to a sense of taking the law seriously. Obeying the law really is a good thing. We're talking just now about the importance of choosing life. In chapters 27 and 28... Moses has given the people this dramatic ceremony. He wants to impress on them the the difference between a, a blessed and a happy kind of a life and a cursed, miserable kind of a life on the other hand. But even that contrast between blessings and curses, it doesn't do justice to what Moses says as he comes to the end of Deuteronomy. Come back to our passage, chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. This isn't just about blessings and curses. There's more at stake. It's a matter of life and death. When C.S. Lewis wanted to stress the importance of any person being in a relationship with God in mere Christianity, he put it like this. Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? Once a man is united to God, How could he not live forever? So the first thing we've noticed in this passage is the importance of choosing life. To choose life is a matter of life and death. The second thing we want to think about is where to find life. And this feels important to me, especially after we've spent a few weeks, uh, not not long ago, looking at some of the specific laws that Moses teaches in his great sermon. Moses shows us in this passage where to find life. Look again, verse 19. Moses says, Now choose life so that you and your family may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is, is your life. There it is. This is where we find life. To choose life isn't to follow certain rules. It's not to choose a lifestyle. It's to choose the Lord. To make him your be-all and your end-all, your first and your last, your everything. Tell me this, is the Lord your life yet? Or are you still mucking about with all of this? Are you still fitting him into your life rather than building your life on him, the foundation, the only way you could possibly live? Folks, I sometimes think we... We treat the living God like an ornament. Set him on the mantelpiece of our already constructed life. Or or we treat our commitment to Christ like a Christmas bauble. We hang it on the tree, thinking it might add some decoration. So long as we live like that, we haven't chosen life and we won't find it. Calvin has this to say about choosing life in God. For until men feel that they owe everything to God, that they're cherished by his paternal care, that he is the author of all their blessings, so that naught is to be looked for away from him, they'll never submit to him in voluntary obedience Nay, unless they place their entire happiness in him, they'll never yield up their whole selves to him in truth and sincerity. Brothers and sisters, I need to ask you, have you placed your entire happiness in him? Have you made the Lord your life? That's what it is to choose life, and that's the only place that you'll find it. Throughout this long sermon, Moses has been urging people to choose blessings and life rather than curses and death, but he's realistic. He knows how this is gonna go. Flick with me beyond our text into chapter 21. 31 sorry run your eye over that last paragraph look at verse 27 it breaks his heart to say it but he says this i know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are if you've been rebellious against the lord while i'm still alive and with you how much more will you rebel after I die, Moses knows that the people won't choose life, that they'll choose death. They won't live under God's blessing, they'll come under God's curse. We're not very different, really, are we? We still don't find it easy to choose life, we're still choosing death. We need to be rescued. Isn't it just brilliant to be finishing our Deuteronomy series deep in the Advent season to realize our dire spiritual state in the very season when we remember the coming of a rescuer? Do you remember what the angel said to Joseph? Call the child Jesus, which means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. We need a rescuer. He's the only one who can reverse the curse. He's the only one who can bring God's blessing. The only one who can bring us from death to life. Jesus is the place where we find life. Well, you say, that's all very good. But but how, how do I find life in Jesus Christ? How does Jesus give me life? Let me show you the greatest thing that I know, the thing that makes sense of the whole of this Deuteronomy series, all this talk about choosing life. Turn with me to Colossians 3. It's on page 1184, if you're using the Pew Bible. Colossians 3 those first four verses. It's a couple of decades now since Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul's writing to a group of people who've become followers of Jesus. He says then, verse one, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you see what Paul is doing here? Moses told the Israelites, the Lord is your life. Paul tells the the Christians in Colossae, Christ is your life. To choose life is to choose the Lord, and that, says Paul, is to choose Jesus Christ. But how how does jesus give us life well he draws us into himself paul says as much verse 3 your life is hidden now with christ in god Folks, this is the greatest truth of Christianity. This is what we call our union with Christ. This is why we'll never stop preaching the gospel and celebrating Christmas and pointing people to Jesus. It's because Jesus came so that we can be in Christ, be in God. The New Testament writers talk about people who have put their faith in Christ Jesus as being in Christ. What they mean by that is that God in his grace allows everything that's true of Jesus to be true of us and the things that are true of us to be true of him. Let me explain. We're sinful. He took our sin. Our sin deserves punishment. He took the punishment for us. Sin leads to death. He died in our place that we might live. But it's not just the case that what is true of us is true of Christ. When we're in Christ, it's also true that what's true of Christ is true of us. Jesus is perfect. As we trust in him god sees us perfect like jesus jesus had power over sin as we trust in him increasingly we're freed from the power of sin over us jesus rose from the dead we're now carrying a life in us that's stronger than the grave so friends where are we to find life We don't find life by obeying rules or by trying to live a good life. We find life only in Jesus Christ. We find life when we receive the gift that God gives us in him. Brothers and sisters, please don't miss this. Let's stop choosing death and start choosing life. Perhaps you have a sense that you're still choosing death. You've been around church for years. You've heard for years the invitation to come to Jesus and to find new life in him. But somehow it doesn't work. You haven't found yourself able to choose life. You're not even sure where the problem lies. Here's something that a, a wise teacher once shared with me that really helped me. A diagnostic question that helps us to see why we might be struggling to find life here's a question we ask ourselves what things if someone took them away from me or didn't allow me to have them make me feel angry or despondent make me feel like life's no longer worth living Take a moment and think what those things are. You might need to take that question home with you and think about it longer. What things, if someone took them away from me or if I can't have them, makes me feel angry or despondent or that life's not worth living? When those things next rear their head, when they try telling you that life's not worth living, we need to learn to do this. We need to learn to look them in the eye and to say, you are not my life. You may be an important thing, you may even be a good thing, but you're not my life. My life is hidden with Christ in God, and you can't get out of it. I've tried in recent years to think about this a little bit. I've tried to take up Calvin's invitation and to to look at my life and see where I place my happiness, just to check that I haven't allowed these things to become my life. I'll start with the trivial and I'll move to the more important things. When I was a a young guy, I, I loved music always did from my teens it speaks to me it moves me but i learned to see that music isn't my life i love cycling in the morns or in the alps that blend of of exercise in in a beautiful natural setting i really love that and i get happy when i get a chance to do it but but it's not enough to build a life on Since we got our wee cottage in the morn, some of you will know this about me, I love cutting and splitting wood. A a tree fell in the garden of the manse recently, an apple tree, just over half term there at Halloween time. Now, most people, when a tree falls in their garden, they go, oh, nightmare, a tree's fallen in my garden. I was, yes! And I got my chainsaw out and I chopped it up and, and I were starting to burn the wood. And it makes me happy. It's not my life. I love Claire very much, but she's not my life. The moment I make Claire my life, I place a burden on her that she's not ever intended to carry. I put a strain on our marriage that it's not intended to bear. I love my work here at Hamilton Road. I get so excited every time I see us as a community look a little bit more like Jesus Christ and show a little bit more of him to to Bangor. I love this community, but it's not my life. You see, whenever we make our church family our life, we always end up feeling disappointed minister and member. You see, we were never meant to make each other our life, our focus. Jesus and only Jesus. Christ is our life. Moses has packed so much even just into these two short verses. He's told us about the importance of choosing life he's told us where to find life and third for one more minute when we must choose life look at verse 19 what is it he says now choose life when now one of the things that i've missed sharing with you Um, One of the things I love about Deuteronomy that I haven't drawn your attention to just yet is the sense of urgency that runs right throughout this sermon. Moses is preaching for an immediate response from those people. We find the word today 47 times in this one book. About a third of the mentions of today in the whole of the Bible are in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is preaching for a response and he wants a response now Today, and brothers and sisters, I I am the same. I want you to choose life. I want you to find it in Jesus Christ, and I want you to do it today. Now, don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come to Jesus Christ. Let us pray.